The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Almost 12 months of basketball breaks. More basketball. And here we are. End of the line. It's actually kind of fitting, actually, that the... I don't know how many times I can say actually in one sentence. It's kind of fitting, comma, I should say, comma, that the NBA would come to its end on a Sunday, right before we open up a brand new week here on Fantasy NBA Today, because it gives us this very firm transitional period I guess you could say. We're about one month out from NBA draft stuff. That's in mid-November. So we have a few weeks now to to sort through some of that stuff. You know how little I care about rookies, but I'm going to have some folks on the show here over the next few weeks that are going to convince me that I should give a rat's you-know-what about young players in the NBA, and specifically first-year guys, because while I've cultivated this Reputation. By the way, I'm Dan Vespers. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. While I've cultivated this reputation of being a hater of young NBA players, it's really just rookies. And it's really just rookie guards. And I'll stretch that into wings a little bit. I have no massive problem with rookie big men because they generally don't have much responsibility. That's what it comes down to for me. Rookies aren't ready for the NBA, so if you give them responsibility, they're going to deuce all over their fantasy games. We see it time and time and time again, and even when they're having good years by rookie standards, it doesn't generally equate to massive value. Like, for example, this year, I think we can all agree John Morant had a pretty impressive season, and yet he was outside the top 125 the entire year, without fail. He actually surged in the bubble. He had a really good bubble run for Memphis. And before that, he was more, uh, he ended at number 130 on a per-game basis. Prior to that, he was outside the top 140, top 150 zone. And he had a good year. If, if you're counting on a rookie point guard in particular, it's going to be a bumpy road. Even last year, you had these these huge overachievements in the rookie point guard business, but there was such a learning curve where, like, look at Trey Young last year. He ended at number 125, even though he was actually top 40 the last month of the year. 125. Massively high turnovers, terrible field goal percent, didn't get any defensive stats. He put up big popcorn numbers, 19 points, 8 assists last year. This is the last, not this most recently completed season, the previous one, when he was a rookie. Luka Doncic averaged 21, 8, and 6 his rookie year, but was number 100. Because high volume, low foul shooting, high turnovers, low field goal percent, there's all these things that get wrapped up in becoming a focal point of your team's offense right out of the shoot. And yet... When you think back about the rookies that have actually succeeded in fantasy over the last decade, really, the list is almost always topped by big men. 
Carl Anthony Towns a few years ago was a rookie big man. I feel like we've uh, we have this weird thought that he's been in the NBA a really long time, and he hasn't really. Uh, you know, this was this was Cat's fifth year. His rookie season, 2015-2016, he averaged 18 points, 10.5 rebounds, 2 assists, 2.4 combined defensive stats, and shot 54% from the field and 81 at the free throw line. That's a really good year. That's a great fantasy year because he wasn't being relied upon to orchestrate an offense. He didn't take that many three-pointers, and he had a foul shot. A big man who can shoot the free throw is a rookie big man I will look at. Point in case... This season, who were your best-performing rookies in the NBA? And don't start with me on Zion, because he barely played this year. It was Ja, who, from from an NBA standpoint, had a very good season, but from a fantasy standpoint, he struggled. There were big holes in his game. Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark was basically your rookie winner. This year, he finished at number 81 on a per game basis. His minutes were trending up as the season moved along because Memphis cleared out all of their other power forwards and Jaron Jackson Jr. got hurt. Brandon Clark averaged 12 points, six boards, 1.3 combined defensive stats, half a three pointer on 62% from the field and 76 decent but not great at the foul line and almost no turnovers per ball game. Rookie big men in nine category leagues in particular have. A, a path to value. But look, we'll get into all that stuff here shortly. We'll we'll have some breakdowns of how the young players did this most recent season. We'll again talk to fantasy, uh, well, not fantasy, reality draft experts. That'll get us a bit more ready. And I don't know if it matters, you know, where there's going to be, there's always a lot of guessing as to where guys are going to end up in a draft and, and certainly where they end up does play a role. But we'll get some breakdowns on the, the youngsters coming in the only one I know is LaMelo Ball. That's it. Uh, you know, that's my... It's not really a guilty admission. You guys know I don't pay attention to rooks. So why would I pay attention to them before they get to the NBA? Blah, blah, blah. On we go. Anyway, I want to spend today's show wrapping up the... Well, we might even do it for a couple of days. We'll see how things go. We have no real schedule now because the NBA still hasn't told us when next season's coming. So we're floating. We're in no man's land Officially now, with games over, no man's land. Oh boy. Let's talk about the last game of the finals. Let's do that on today's podcast. Tomorrow we'll figure out something else. And, uh, you know, I know you guys love basketball the way I do, so we'll just uh, we'll just ping our way through. Lakers beat the 106-93 was the final score. The game itself was actually nowhere near that mark. Um... Didn't have a chance to handicap that game on air, but I certainly would have had a strong lean to the under. Probably not this much, but if you remember, I said uh, prior to the Friday's uh, Lakers loss that the pace of the game looked like it was headed towards 205. That was my expectation, was that Friday's game was going to sit somewhere in the between 200 and 210 neighborhood. And then um, everybody made everything. And it ended up going over by one possession, which is really an interesting phenomenon, that the Heat hit basically every free throw. They missed one free throw in the entire ballgame. The teams didn't have... Lakers had, a, I guess, a, a, some turnovers. But by all accounts, looking at the way that game shaped out, the uh, the Heat 
overachieve to get to 111 thanks to their robust foul shooting and very average number of turnovers. That one should have been at about 107 for Miami. On the Lakers' side, they actually, believe it or not, should have been at about 107 as well, so they pretty much hit their number right on the mark. So that game should have ended at about 214. It got going pretty quick, and then, you know, even in the fourth quarter when the pace slowed to a crawl, the team still just kept making shots. So when I saw that game on Friday hit 219 and go over by a possession or possession and a half, however you want to call it, the uh, listed total was 216 on that game, then looking at Sunday's game, my thought was, oh my God, like there's simply no way the Lakers are as out to lunch defensively on Sunday as they were on Friday. They lost that game. Everybody wants to talk about Danny Green missing a three-pointer at the buzzer. Lakers lost that game on Friday, not because of Green missing a three-pointer. They lost that game because they didn't really play hard until about the five-minute mark of the third quarter. They just were letting LeBron casually trade buckets with the Heat for the first two and a half quarters of the ballgame. Of course, LeBron had a gigantic game on Friday. NAD scored well, and KCP scored well, but they weren't playing defense. They weren't locked in. It was, it was a classic case of, we've got this. And so then Jimmy Butler made him pay, and Duncan Robinson started to get loose, and Lakers were not tracking him. Kendrick Nunn had 14 points on 11 shots. They just were not, they weren't focused. And it still only went over by one to one and a half possessions. So when Sunday's number, the the total was one point lower, that was an indicator to me. Because remember, when we were looking at the Friday game, I kept thinking, I don't know why this total isn't coming down farther. I guess there was this expectation the Lakers were going to be lackadaisical, and they were, and it still almost went under. They're, they're really, based on the pace of the ball game, based on the way things were going, I could not have seen that Friday game going any higher. That was basically as high as it could have possibly gone. And it barely cleared the mark. So I looked at Sunday's game and I thought, same handicap, Lakers focused. That game is going to be in the 200 to 206 range. It ended at 199, so it actually was even under the mark there. Lakers defensively were great. Team scored six points, uh, I think nine points in the final minute, or it would have been around 190. Who the hell? I think, what, Olenek hit a three, Dwight Howard hit a three, and then Solomon Hill hit a three right at the very end of the ballgame. Nothing mattered at that point. Lakers at one point led this game by 36 points. It was a trouncing to finish off the Heat and finish off the finals because they they were forced to care again. And I admit, I was a little bit concerned after Game 5 because it looked like Anthony Davis was really nursing that messed up heel, and I'll admit, he, he wasn't he wasn't quite himself even in game six, but defensively, he was everywhere. Defensively, the Lakers didn't lose their man. How many open layups did the Heat get in game six? I think one, and it was LeBron. He was, he guessed the wrong way. He saw a screen coming. He leaned into it, and it's either Crowder or Jimmy Butler. Someone just went right past him, and there was nobody behind him for an easy layup. Lakers had like, Somewhere between 5 and 10 uncontested layups, and I think the Heat had one in that game. Miami missed a bunch of free throws, which early in the game seemed like it was going to be a big deal, but then the Lakers, who weren't hitting shots in the first 
quarter and a half, started hitting shots towards the end of the second quarter, and that's when things started to get out of hand. Because for the first 18 minutes of that ball game, the Heat were hitting jumpers, the Lakers were making wide-open layups, and it was, you know, Lakers by five, six, whatever it was, Heat were hanging around. And even in that moment, I thought, at some point, the Lakers are going to hit an actual jump shot. I think they were one of their first seven from three-point land or something like that. And in my mind, I'm, I, and I wasn't in front of my, uh, my computer to maybe throw an in-game wager on it, but in my mind, I was like, look, if, the heat, if this is the shot selection the exhausted Heat are getting through this ballgame, which is generally contested, and this is the shot selection the Lakers are going to get, this game's going to get ugly. Because early on, we saw Danny Green miss a couple of three-pointers to start the ball game. Uh, we saw KCP miss a couple of threes. We saw AD miss a couple of threes to start the game. And then all of a sudden, Green hit one. KCP hit two, I think, in a row, if memory serves. Rondo hit a couple. And then the floodgates opened up. And it kind of proved what we, we all knew. There was no surprise in this series. The Lakers were... They had the better top gear in this in this matchup. Also, by the way, okay, you know what? I'll save my rant for just a second later. But sometimes I absolutely hate Twitter and watching watching the Lakers work their way through the playoffs is one of those times where you just oh Twitter, yikes! Everybody knows ever more than everybody else. Twitter has the more geniuses per capita than anyone in the world. Um, we always sort of knew coming into this series, the Lakers had the better top gear. The question was, when would they utilize it? Now, game one of this series, that was sort of fastball versus fastball, and the Lakers just won it. They were able to get out. The Heat were seeing something that they were not really prepared for, which was surprising given the way Miami took care of Milwaukee. Adebayo tweaked his neck in that game one. That was a, something, a shoulder-neck thing that had actually been kind of going on for him, but it hadn't been aggravated in a while. And then, of course, Goran Dragic tore his plantar fascia. And make no mistake, the, the Heat were certainly worse without Dragic. They had to, they lost leadership. They lost someone that had sort of fancy moves when he got around the rim. It didn't change the way the Lakers were defending the Heat all that much. Remember, Goron was struggling even in Game 1 before he got hurt, and there would have been times in the series that he would have gotten warm, so make no mistake. Again, I'm not saying they were better without him. I'm just saying that from an overall scheme and game plan standpoint, it actually didn't change what the Lakers were doing all that much. The question really from Game 1 of this Finals was, what was the Lakers' focus going to be like? And you got to the end here, and, and teams started to feel like the bubble was about to be over. And you could see that there was... And I even said it on Friday's podcast when when people were asking me about my handicap for it. I was like, I think this is going to go under. The one way I think it potentially goes over is that there's just no focus. I said, I think LeBron's going to be focused, but I don't know. What, and I, I referred to them as the non-bronze. And then I made a four non-bronze joke on Twitter, and people seem to enjoy that. Uh, they weren't. The, the non-bronze were not focused on Friday, but they were on Sunday. Defensively, the Lakers inserted Anthony Caruso into the starting lineup. He got 33 minutes. Didn't score much, but they didn't need him to. His job was to chase around guys like Duncan Robinson, 
Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn. And he did a hell of a job on him. Because for the Heat yesterday, the only Heat players that shot 50% or better were Bam Adebayo, Kelly Olynyk in garbage time, and Jimmy Butler, who went 5 for 10. Butler was working really hard to get other people involved in the ballgame, but they weren't open. Jay Crowder, 3 for 9. Duncan Robinson, 3 for 8. Kendrick Nunn, 3 for 8. Goran Dragic, 2 for 8. Tyler Harrell, 3 for 10. Heat shot 44%, but a lot of that was out of bio. He had 10 of their buckets in that ballgame. And I don't think anybody else... Well, Butler had 5, but uh, nobody else had more than 4 field goals. And again, that was a Linux in garbage time. Adebayo hit 10 field goals, Butler hit 5, and of the guys who actually played, no one else had more than 3. And you're like, Dan, what about the Lakers side? Actually, it's, it's quite different. Rajon Rondo hit 8 shots. Anthony Davis hit, what, 7? LeBron had 13, Danny Green had 4, KCP had 6. That's more like what the Heat were doing in the previous game. This feels like as good a time as any to talk to you about manscaping. Why? Because I looked at my ugly face in the mirror and my beard is out of control. It reminded me, too, by the way, it also reminded me because now our, uh, our six and a half month old baby, when he's drinking his bottles, he likes to reach up and stroke my beard. I can only mean that means he's thinking, but he doesn't have a beard to stroke to show me that he's thinking, so he's, he strokes mine instead. Uh, it's out of control. It's quite bushy. I'm looking rabbinic, and I need to trim it. And so when I saw that, I thought, oh, I better, I better talk about Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Get yourself the lawnmower 3.0. It's awesome. I will be using it later today to make my face look less stupid. How's that for a nice promo? The lawnmower 3.0. Skin-safe electric trimmer, pinch-free technology, waterproof technology, 90-minute battery life. I could shave my face and I could walk around the neighborhood shaving people until it ran out of batteries. I wouldn't because we're in a pandemic. That would be a terrible idea. But I could if I wanted to. Use promo code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. It's October now. We're going to move a couple of units, folks. Go get yourself a lawnmower 3.0 from manscaped.com. Promo code once again, HOOPBALL20, 20% off. Free shipping. You can either get you can get other stuff, too, if you want. If you want. Uh, nose hair trimmer, luxury nail kit, boxers, T-shirts. Uh, Manscaped was kind enough to send me a T-shirt. It's a little large for me, so now it's my wife's nightshirt. Pretty sweet. Enjoy it. Manscaped.com. Check it out right now. So the Lakers shut down the other guys, and they said, all right, if we can take care of these other guys, then like Jimmy and Bam beat our best defenders or work really hard to get switches, and that slows the game down. Now, the Lakers, in their 106 points, believe it or not, uh, hit their mark right on the nose. They shot 48% from the field, but because they barely got any free throws. By the way, <laughs> can we talk about what a ridiculous thing? Uh, Lakers shot 14 free throws in the entire ball game yesterday, which I guess if you're going to have a game where there aren't a ton of foul shots, it probably does favor the Lakers in this matchup, but the Heat still got their 22. Uh, Lakers got 89 field goals up in this ball game, only 12 turnovers. They finally won a turnover battle, so they hit their mark of 106 right on the nose. The Heat, no surprise, underachieved in their marker. They should have been around 103 or 104. 
based on pace of play. I think it would be 103. And they underachieved by 10 points. Poor shooting, poor field goal, uh, poor free throw shooting. Um, the free throw, I can't truly account for. The uh, field goal number, you know, a lot of that was the Lakers finally locking in. Very few miscommunications. And they just sort of poured it on. So the Lakers get their 17th championship. I personally am quite pleased as a lifelong Laker fan, but as you know, a very pragmatic fantasy Laker fan. I very rarely have them on my team unless somehow I end up with a top two pick, in which case I throw Anthony Davis in the mix and just let that dude carry me in all sorts of delightful statistical categories. And while we move into the offseason, with the Lakers actually already the title favorites for next year, which is interesting because they're sort of... There are kind of two things at play here. One thing at play is that you know LeBron wants to maximize the time he has left. I think there might be this inclination to say, well, he got one in L.A. and he's probably going to be satisfied. LeBron knows that he's within probably, and every, you know, I'm sure every year we say the same thing, but eventually we're going to be right. He's within probably two years of really losing a substantial amount of his ability. He's a machine. Like, the fact that he's still doing what he's doing is completely outrageous. I'm, I'm a year and a half older than that dude, and it takes me 12 minutes just to crack my neck and back when I get up in the morning. And here LeBron is out there, you know, the most athletic guy on the floor most of the time. Like, basically whenever he's not playing Giannis. <laughs> I don't know how he's doing it, but... Now, whatever. He just keeps rumbling along. At some point... He will slow a step, and he knows that. Great though he may be, android body though he may have somehow, he's he's going to slow down. And so I think in LeBron's mind, he's he's settling back in his chair, enjoying his championship. But when he starts to look towards next year, his thought's going to be, I need to do this again, and I need to do it now. The other guys on this team, there may be a certain complacency. You know, Anthony Davis got himself a title. There's a different thing that happens with certain types of play. And, and listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one to try to get into Anthony Davis's psyche, but I don't think anyone is out here saying that Anthony Davis is on his path to being one of the top five NBA players of all time. There's a certain legacy element that comes with those expectations that LeBron has, and of course Jordan... And, you know, whether or not you agree with the sentiment, it was something that Kobe Bryant had in his head. An expectation of constant greatness. And when there is opportunity to do something that creates that legacy, they snatch at it. LeBron is that kind of guy. It's why he played so damn well in Game 5 when the rest of his team was like, yeah, we got this wrapped up. We're in pretty good shape. Some guys are just wired different, and part of that is not just straight personality, it's understanding history and future. And there's all these things that LeBron thinks about that I don't think maybe anyone else on the Lakers truly thinks about on a day-to-day basis. And that, again, is not to take anything away from the rest of these Lakers, it's just that they're not being held to that same expectation. Anthony Davis got himself a title. He had a lot of fun on his way there, and he'll 
probably sign a long-term deal with the Lakers or just opt into his one-year thing and then sign a long-term deal. But I don't think he's going to have the same fire in his belly next year that he did this year to get number two. The only way that that happens is if LeBron can get so deep in Anthony Davis's head and convince him, look, you could be considered one of the best big men to ever play basketball if you come and help me get two more championships. If we three-peat together, you will catapult yourself into the discussion of best big men of all time. Whether or not that's right, I have no idea. But it's a way to attach an extra weight, extra gravitas to next season. Honestly, I don't know how many of these guys are back next year for the Lakers. Well, let me pull up the the Lakers contract situation, and uh, then we'll have a better idea of what's going on here. Uh, LeBron obviously is signed next year. He has a player option for the following season, which he'll probably take. It's $41 million, and he's going to be, what, 37, 38 years old at that point. Uh, AD's player option is $29 million. Danny Green is signed for an additional year. We know he's going to do what he has to do to get back to a championship. He's actually, I believe, the first player ever to win back-to-back titles with two different teams. I think. I may be getting that wrong. KCP has a player option for next year at $8.5 million. Uh, as well as he played in the playoffs, you might actually see him opt out. Avery Bradley was on a two-year deal. JaVale McGee was on a two-year deal. Um... I guess Avery Bradley, he'll, he, he might have the fire in his belly since he wasn't there for the playoff run. Alex Caruso is back next year. Rondo has a player option for only $2.6 million. He probably declines that and you know goes and convinces somebody else that playoff Rondo can pop up one more time and make some more money. Jared Dudley, Dwight Howard, Markeith Morris, they're all off the books. Deion Waiters, J.R. Smith, etc. Uh, Lakers have one more year of Kyle Kuzma and Taylor Horton Tucker's rookie contract. Uh, so more of these guys, I guess, are back than I realized at first glance. Quinn Cook, by the way, non-guaranteed contract for next year. And um, certainly earlier this season, the Lakers were paying money to DeMarcus Cousins, who may very well opt to return. He was making, what, 3 or $4 million this year, I think? So the Lakers still have a ton of money tied up for next year. We'll... Uh, you know, will AD sign a long-term deal? If not, I mean, it's it's a lot either way. And uh, the Rondo KCP player options will factor, I think, a bit into what the Lakers do for next year as well. So looking at the guys that are set to run it back now, JaVale McGee, you know, you'll get what you get out of him. Avery Bradley, you're going to get good effort most of the time. Danny Green just sort of does his 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 business. Um, next year for the Lakers probably comes down to how much Anthony Davis cares. Is he healthy come playoff time, and can, can he sort of get it turned on? I don't think the Lakers are going to be the number one seed again. I think that there was something special about this year where they, they wanted to make sure they had the chemistry pre-playoffs. This feels like a lesson that LeBron learned somewhere along his path. Where he's like, look, we have to get, we have to take the regular season seriously this year. We don't want to totally burn ourselves out, but bad things happen if you don't figure everything out before you get into the playoffs. Look at the Clippers, by the way. Clippers are a good example of a team that didn't figure everything out pre-playoffs, and then they ran into a better team unit in the Nuggets with less talent, and they got beat. Happened to the Bucks. 
Bucks never figured out what to do come playoff time. I don't think I can say the same thing about the Celtics. The Celtics just got beat by a very clever Miami Heat team. Just a really smart Heat team. So contractually, let's say KCP opts out, which it might actually it does feel a little bit insane. He's a clutch guy, so he's probably coming back. But let's say he opts out. LeBron, uh, Rondo almost definitely opts out. I don't think Rondo comes back. I know he had a good time, but $2.5 million with as well as he played in the postseason, we can go make more somewhere else. So what do the Lakers do? Do they? Uh, does Alex Caruso try to turn a corner as a playmaker? That's probably not happening anytime soon, at least not to the level that Rondo... Uh, can create and pass. They're not that different at, honestly, Caruso, obviously a much better defender, higher flying act, but just from a, like, how do teams guard them? (laughs) It's not that different. Um, You know, is Kuzma going to have the same fire? I I know he's, he's still working to improve. I would not put money on the Lakers to repeat right this second. Looking and forget that they're, they're the favorites. So the odds are not that great. I just, it's really hard to repeat unless you are a certain level of mania in your blood. And uh, maybe that's LeBron. Maybe he can get them all to that point again. You know what? Let me, let me put it this way. I think there's a better chance the Lakers repeat than win the Western Conference regular season. Does that make better more sense than what I was saying before? Because it's possible that... With their playoff experience, they can get it fired up whenever the hell the playoffs start. <laughs> who, the, who the bleep knows when that'll be next year. What I don't think is going to happen is I don't think you're going to get max effort during the regular season every game the way you did this year. You're going to see a dialed back LeBron. You're going to see a Lakers team that tries to win regular season games more with offense than with defense. A frustrated Frank Vogel that will ultimately understand that there's a fatigue factor at play. Uh... If they can get someone like Boogie to come back, I know it sounds like he and AD are really close, then who knows? Maybe that changes the way things go in the regular season. But I I would guess, actually looking at next year, I think the Clippers have the best record in the Western Conference next year. That is going to be a mad and motivated team. I would take them to have the best record in the Western Conference. I don't see how anybody else could. Say, what about the Nuggets? I don't know. I think they suffer through the same thing that the Lakers do, which is sort of regular season-itis. Nuggets didn't need to do better in the regular season this year. They got to the Western Conference Finals. That's where you expect to get to if you have the best record in the West. They got there without it. So I don't think that's a big deal for them. I think the Lakers wanted to, to have the best record in the West, uh... But I think it was a result of wanting to make sure they had good team chemistry. That was just sort of one thing led to another. I don't know that they were striving to have the number one record. I think they were striving to make sure they were ready. And they got to that point by playing hard and ended up with the best record. And then everybody's like, well, you know, that meant that they had an easier path to the finals, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. Let's pivot now. It's rant time on the podcast with Dan. Of course. That's the point, you Jags. If you have the best record in your conference, 
that's the advantage you get. You get to play the eight seed in the first round. You get to play the winner of four or five in the second round. You get to hold off on playing the two or the three seed until the Western Conference Finals. That's the point. The Bucks had the same advantage, and they got smoked by a team with 12 fewer wins than them during the regular season. Is it the Lakers' fault that the Bucks weren't very good in the playoffs? Is it the Lakers' fault that the Clippers had no chemistry? No. The Nuggets were the second best team in the Western Conference in the playoffs. That's what matters. The Lakers beat them. The Rockets beat the Thunder. They won their matchup in the 4-5. Is it the Lakers' fault that they didn't have to play the Mavericks in the playoffs? Would it have mattered? Hell no! Porzingis went down. Lakers would have thrown everything at Luka Doncic. You don't think they would have figured out a way to contain a one-man gang? With KP, the Mavericks are obviously a, a very different team. Do you remember before the playoffs started? And I've, I've cited this before. And, and there's a little bit of Lakers bias in this rant. But at the same time, people want to rewrite history for all of these teams. I was told, point blank, the Lakers are the worst number one seed in NBA history. And the Blazers are the best number eight seed in NBA history. I actually agree with one of those two things. I think the Blazers probably were the best eight seed Maybe ever. Maybe ever. Lakers were definitely not the worst number one seed. The Lakers were good this year. It's interesting how few people took the Lakers seriously. And I think it's because teams don't really care about defense. Or uh, fans, I should say. Analysts, maybe, don't care about defense. The Lakers were annihilating teams with defense when they wanted to. The team they struggled with was the Clippers and the Raptors. They're probably lucky they didn't have to play the Raptors. But you know what? They played the teams that were put in front of them, and they beat them handily for the most part when they were trying their hardest. The Bucks should have done the same thing. It is not the Lakers' fault that Milwaukee still had no plan for the playoffs. If you have the best record during the regular season, you get advantages. Want those advantages for your favorite team? Tell them to win more games during the regular season. Being the two seed has advantages as well. Clippers got to play a Mavericks team that was shorthanded. Should have been able to beat the Nuggets, but didn't. So what do you want me to tell you guys? The Nuggets beat the Clippers. So the folks that are like, ah, Lakers didn't have to play the Clippers. You're right. They lost. (laughs) It It wasn't like they just vanished on a magic spell. They melted down in a cataclysmic meltdown. Would the Clippers have beaten the Lakers in the playoffs? I don't know. Their mental fortitude turned out to be not what I expected. I actually had Clippers futures. I thought they were going to win the title this year. I did not see that total mental breakdown coming. Would the Clippers have won the title if this wasn't in the bubble is an interesting question. Maybe. 
That's also a big maybe. It's part of why I actually like the Clippers next year. Um, the title is a question mark. I don't think I'd put I don't think I'd put money on someone to win the title right now because things happen. You know, free agency happens. Not that there are some massive names that are about to change spots, but things happen. Signings around the edges. What are the Clippers going to do with some of their free agents? What about the Bucks? The Raptors? They have some question marks coming up here. So I don't know if I'd go title yet, but I would consider, if you can find it, Clippers to have the best record in the Western Conference. Basically, as soon as that bet is available. If it is already, I haven't seen it. But as soon as it's available, I, I believe they will be gunning for that next year. Under a new head coach, understanding that getting the number one seed is a big deal, understanding that having chemistry is a big deal. I think you'll see the Clippers... Uh, you'll still you'll still have Kawhi missing games here and there, but having Paul George healthy for most of the season, which I expect will be the case, is a great way for them to, to let those guys play together. They're gonna have to monitor Pat Beverly too. They just they can't afford to have that many guys missing games and and still have the right chemistry. Next year they should be able to get to that point. I, I think they do. I think they win the West uh, regular season title next year. Playoff time? I don't know. It could be the Lakers again. It really could if they can get fired up enough. What about the Heat? We didn't really talk much about the Heat so far. Uh, hell of a run. Hell of a run from a team that went 44-29 and 29 during the regular season. 29-7 and seven at home, 15-22 and 22 on the road, and just brilliant on neutral sites. There's a few different things going on with Miami. Number one, they, they, they really planted their flag as a free agent destination because I think a lot of players looked at the Heat and thought, hmm, you know, that team is one key guy away from being a, a, a championship team. And don't say championship contender because, dude, they were in the finals. They're already a championship contender with effectively just Jimmy Butler and a pretty good Bam Adebayo. Now, the Eastern Conference was a really good place to have Bam Adebayo. Because the one guy in the East that could have given, frankly, a team, I think, that would have given the Heat a rough time would have been the 76ers at full strength. The Heat is uh, soft on really impressive big men. The Bucks have Brooke Lopez, who's perfect for what they do, but it's not like he's a dominant big man. The Raptors have uh, soft-bellied Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka. No, I love Daniel Tice, but he's not a, a stud big man. Pacers had Demonis Sabonis, but he missed the playoffs, so that would have been a much better series against the Heat if he was healthy. And then Joel Embiid. Jared Allen, eh, up and coming. Vooch, solid big man. I'll give him credit there, but... I think Bam would have taken him out of his game just because of, uh, of a foot speed war. So that was a great path for the Heat to have, actually. A Sabonis-less Pacers team, a Bucks team that relies on one dude to just barrel to the rim the whole time, and then a Celtics team where Adebayo could really go to work. They clobbered the Celtics. And then ran up against a buzzsaw when he, when he had to deal with Anthony Davis. For the most part, he had a good final game there, but I know we can talk about the injury. Um, 
AD finally sort of settled him down. And I'd love to see Adebayo and Nikola Jokic in a longer series, but we may never get to see that. Uh, Rudy Gobert would have been a pretty good matchup for him. Not so much stressing him defensively, but uh, over on the other side. Get a healthy Trailblazers team in there with a Yusuf Nurkic. Get a healthy Kristaps Porzingis in there. Uh, there's some pretty good big men in the Western Conference waiting in the wings that the Heat didn't really have to deal with. So, yes, they got a bit lucky that Sabonis wasn't in there. Um, but otherwise, they dodged, to, in my opinion, the one remaining team that had a big man that could have given them trouble. So, man, there's a lot of stuff that I still want to talk about. Um, why don't we, why don't we just put a pause on it? Why don't we put a pause on it? We got all these things to still talk about. I want to talk about some of these teams and their outlook going forward. We'll do it a little bit more organized. Today was kind of a mishmash of thoughts that ultimately the only one that matters is Lakers. Lakers are your 2019-2020, the world's longest NBA season champions and uh, that franchise now tied with the Celtics, 17 championships apiece. There's your reason the Lakers might want to get another one next year. <laughs> so will Boston. Who we, who we will crown, we may never know. Thank you, by the way, to our buddies at mybookie.ag for all of their support throughout all of this. We are going to continue to partner with them even throughout the offseason because the great folks over at Hoopball Gaming, Ira, Devin, Troy, and newcomer John, absolutely dominating their picks right now. You know me. I don't really follow the NFL, uh, but I do know that Ira gave out two best bets yesterday, and they both won. He had a six-team teaser that won. Devin uh, won three out of his five college picks which he put out in written form. So you don't even have to lead, listen to their podcast to figure out their college plays from Saturday. So he went three and two in those. Those guys are just crushing right now. And we're going to be highlighting their work throughout the offseason because while we are all waiting for the next NBA season to begin, those guys will be winning you money on football games, on Mondays, on Thursdays, on Fridays, on Saturdays, on Sundays. There is plenty to wager on at mybookie.ag. Make sure if you sign up for an account, use promo code HOOPBALL. I should say when you sign up for an account. Use promo code HOOPBALL. Get a 100% deposit match on your first account deposit. And always check your messages in the system. They will often send you alerts about different promos and special things running, uh, like odds boost. We'll obviously talk about that the next time one of those pops up. The um, the free blackjack tournaments were pretty cool. I had a lot of fun messing around with those uh, midway through last week. And let's see. Let's see if I have any messages right now. I'm going to click through. Uh, nothing right now. Nothing right now. That's okay, though. Um, some will be coming shortly. But that doesn't mean you wouldn't have any. I happen to have used all of mine. <laughs> right? I used my promos. That's why I logged in. It was fun. It was fun. I had a I had a blast. So uh, make sure you sign up now. Go to mybookie.ag, and promo code once again is HoopBall. Folks, have a wonderful Monday. We'll get back at you tomorrow. We'll start breaking down some of these teams, and really from a a mental standpoint, what the different organizations are looking to do 
season over season. This is important stuff when you're handicapping for fantasy for next year, understanding what teams are going to be trying to accomplish during the regular season. That's part of how we do our drafting. I am Dan Vaspers at Dan Vaspers on Twitter. This was a hoop ball presentation, Fantasy NBA Today, uh, hoop-ball.com, hoop ball tweets. Season's done, man, but we got plenty left to do. We'll talk to you tomorrow, everybody. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.